Welcome to those of you joining us on Facebook, on YouTube, on our newlife.nyc uh, website. My name is Rich Velotis. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church. And uh, just as a quick uh, note here, next Sunday we're going to be re- uh, receiving communion together. And so just a reminder that next Sunday we'll be doing that. So feel free to get whatever you need to prepare for that next Sunday. It's been a very difficult week in our country. It seems like every few months there's an act of racial injustice that shakes us to the core. And on top of all of that, we are still in a pandemic. Churches are scattered. Political divisions are deeper than ever. And yet, I believe that there is a word from the Lord for us. We've been on a series of teachings through the book of Philippians. And I want to read out chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's Pentecost Sunday. And I want to hold together all of these different parts of our service together, this text, Pentecost Sunday, and what's happening in our country. But we continue with Paul's letter to this church in Philippi, beginning in verse number 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who Put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Lord, we need a word from you today. And I pray that you would speak through me with power, with clarity, with anointing. And Lord, that we would be open to the ways of your spirit today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it to be symbolically relevant that on this Pentecost Sunday, parts of our country are up in flames. And it is no irony that there's a fire truck behind me right as I speak. Our country, I didn't plan that, our country is up in flames. Flames of rage. Flames of pain. Flames burning for justice. And it's symbolically relevant because Pentecost is also a day when we remember the flames, but of a different kind. I'm talking about the flames of the Holy Spirit resting on the heads of Jesus' disciples. And this is what I want us to see. The flames of the Spirit are given so that we can extinguish the flames of injustice. 
There's a saying that says you can't fight fire with fire. And while that may be true on a physical sense, it's not true on a spiritual level. Because the fire that God sends is for the purpose of making things right to extinguish the fires of injustice in our world. It's time that we see Pentecost for what it truly is. Pentecost is not a day to recreate something that happened 2,000 years ago or to manipulate people into a state of spiritual frenzy and spiritual ecstasy. Pentecost is not a powerful emotional and spiritual moment that simply just enables us to speak in other languages and roll on the floor. Pentecost is, yes, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the gift from God, but it is given to empower us to cross barriers that are often too thick to break down on our own. The Holy Spirit is given as an outpouring to lead to what Willie James Jennings said and called a prophetic boundary crossing and border transgressing. Pentecost is our annual reminder that God has given the church the Holy Spirit not to satisfy our private insatiable lust for more experiences, but to mark us to be witnesses of Jesus' kingdom, a kingdom marked by love and justice and forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, you might be asking, what does all of this have to do with the text that I just read? It all seems so disconnected. And yet, I want to make some connections with our text, with Pentecost Sunday, what's happening in Minnesota and what's happening around our country. Because Paul in this text is addressing a problem that has been repeated for 2,000 years, a problem that the Holy Spirit has sought to empower us to overcome. In chapter 3, Paul is pretty cheery. And throughout the letter of Philippians, he's been pretty cheery. And he begins this section by saying, rejoice in the Lord. Now, throughout this chapter, throughout this letter so far, Paul has been pretty enthusiastic. And, and this is strange because Paul can be pretty grumpy. And when you read other letters that he writes to the church, Paul has a, a grumpy side to him. But so far in the first two chapters, Paul has been pretty enthusiastic, pretty joyful. He's rejoicing. He loves this particular church. But now in a New York second, Paul switches gears. And the joyful Paul turns into the pastoral urgent Paul. And he warns the church about something that's going to put their joy in jeopardy. Now, in ancient times, there were no emojis, there were no caps lock for you to emphasize particular things and what you would write. But Paul shows emphasis by repetition. And in the verse that we just read, Paul says, watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. But in the Greek language, Paul says the word, the phrase, watch out three times. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. In the New York second, he goes from rejoice in the Lord to watch out for those dogs. What in the world is happening? Now, what was happening in that church was there were some teachers, some false teachers, that were coming into the church teaching a dangerous doctrine. They were known as the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were visiting teachers who posed as Christians but emphasize Jewish identity markers. 
And so when Paul talks about them, he uses very strong words for these false teachers. Culturally appropriate words for these false teachers back then. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Now what's interesting is the Judaizers of that day would call Gentiles dogs. Because they were thought to be inferior. Gentiles were thought to be less than. Gentiles were thought to be evil workers. And Paul knows this, gets riled up, and and calls them dogs. And for Paul, the true dog was not the one who was socially or religiously regarded as inferior. The real dog was the one who saw others as inferior. These teachers placed great emphasis on the works of the law. And by works of the law, Paul's not talking about individual morality. He's talking about identity markers that determined who was in and who was out, who was up here and who was down there. And we live in a world that regularly uses markers to determine whether you're in or out, whether you are up here or whether you are down here. For the Judaizers of that day, they placed great emphasis on particular markers Markers of national identity, markers of racial and ethnic identity, and markers of religious identity. For the Judaizers, they had a very simple equation which looked like this. National and ethnic identity plus religious performance equals the people of God. And that's what they held on to. They put their confidence in these markers. They believed that being nationalistically Jewish, ethnically Jewish, religiously Jewish was necessary to be truly part of God's family. These these things were proof that they belonged, that they were the exclusive people of God. It was their ID badge that gave them access to being the people of God. It granted them security clearance, these particular markers of, of nationality, of race and ethnicity, and of religious performance. Imagine going to the airport from time to time, you know. Remember when we used to go to the airport from time to time when we go to the airport and, and you're waiting on the line to go through the metal detectors and a TSA agent will just walk past and, and go through the metal detectors and bring out his badge or her badge. And the person at the detectors at the gate would just see the badge and say, just come on in. Another person would come in, come right in. And we'd be waiting as they go right in because they had the badge. They had the ID to just get right in. But imagine that same TSA worker goes to the security clearance and the person at the gate says, you know what, you don't need a badge anymore. You can put your ID away. Everybody's just coming in right now. It'd be like, this is lunacy. This is crazy. You're going to disrupt everything. This is essentially what Paul is saying. That your national identity, your ethnic identity, your racial identity, your religious identity is not what makes you the people of God. What makes you the people of God is the grace and faith found in Jesus Christ. And this is crazy for 2,000 years ago. Riots ensued because of this. And Paul said, what makes you right with God is not your national identity, not your racial identity. What makes you right with God is what Christ has done on your behalf. That's what gets you clearance. That's what gets you in. And this will be hard for the Judaizers to grasp because their entire understanding of themselves, their understanding of God, their understanding of others was predicated on national, ethnic, and religious markers of that day. And we need to be reminded of this because history has a way of repeating itself. 
To place confidence in the things the Judaizers emphasized is not just an ancient problem. It's a today problem. The context is different, but the danger remains. The identity markers cause damage in our relationship with God and damage in our relationship with our neighbor. Consider for a moment the national identity markers that often mark our lives and mark our world. Throughout American history, there's been language that has made it seem that America was a country and is a country endowed with a special grace from God to be God's people. American leaders have often believed and mistakenly believed that America was a city on a hill. That America is the salt of the earth. And when we use this language, it's no surprise that people believe that anyone outside of America is somehow farther than God. And farther away from God than us. Somehow less than us. And this is far from the truth. It's no surprise that many people think that to be American is to be Christian. Or that this is a Christian nation. But we have to remember that the true city on the hill is not America. The true city on the hill are Christ followers. The salt of the earth is not this nation. The salt of the earth are those who have said yes to Jesus Christ and follow in the way of his kingdom. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about not having a love for country. I'm not saying throw away your American flag. But it's important to recognize that national identity can very easily become spiritual idolatry. There's a thin line between patriotism and nationalism. A thin line between uh, ethnic identity and ethnocentrism. And the problem is often revealed in the human tendency to conform and assimilate others into a particular image. The Judaizers believe if you just were like us, if you just did the things we did, if you just looked like us, then you will be the people of God. And that power of conformity is very present in our day. Rosie and I were celebrating our wedding anniversary, our 14th wedding anniversary in January. We went to Hawaii. I'm sure you saw the pictures that we posted. And we were having a great time, and we signed up for one of the Hawaiian cultural tours. There were about seven or eight other folks on the tour with us. Started to learn about Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian history. And at one point in the conversation, during a question and answer time with the tour guide, there was a woman from New York, a white woman, who asked the question. And the question she asked had no malice in it. It was an innocent question to her. But she said very simply, do Hawaiians identify more as Hawaiians or as Americans. And the cultural tour guide who was Hawaiian said, well, that's a very complicated question, but I'd say we identify as Hawaiians. Why do you ask? And her response, she said, because we would be more unified if we identified in the same way. If we just identified as Americans, we'd be more unified. 
And it was at that point where Rosie had to grab my arm because I was about to rise up and say something. And she said, this is our wedding anniversary. Be still (laughs) in the name of Jesus. We would be unified if we simply identified in the same way. It made me think of something I've heard from Jerry Scazzaro when she talks about uh, marriages and such. It is the case when two people get married, the minister says, and the two shall become one. But the minister doesn't say which one. It's often the case where the two become one, but there's often one that you better assimilate to and conform to. The same applies in this nation. When people say we should be one as a nation, the question that's never asked is, which one? Which one are you referring to? Which standard are you conforming to? Which image are you referring to? Which one? And so when Paul talks about the Judaizers, the word is important to us because it has us and it makes us question this notion of national identity, which very easily becomes national idolatry. But Paul continues. What's at work here is not just about national identity. What's at work here is also about racial identity. In the past two weeks, we've had to deal with the pandemic of COVID-19 and simultaneously the pandemic of a public racism. And this is not something that just started two weeks ago. This is 400 years in the making. At the core of the problem of racism is the evil notion that there are some who are superior and some who are inferior. At the core of racism is the notion that some are inherently less than and some are inherently greater than by virtue of the color of their skin. And what we have seen time and time again in this country is that to be black in this country is to be treated as inferior, to be seen and treated as less than, to be seen and treated as less than human. The Judaizers called the Gentiles dogs. And in this country, black men and women have often been treated the same. George Floyd was treated like a dog, worse than a dog. A police officer nonchalantly placing his knee on that man's neck for nine minutes. Take a moment to imagine your father under that knee, your son under that knee, your brother under that knee, your uncle under that knee, your sister under that knee, your mother, your daughter under that knee. You'd be mad as hell too. We once again saw in plain sight that black men and women have been viewed by those in power as less than. And it is in this world that we must see that the sin of racism is antithetical to the message of the gospel. That you cannot see others as inferior and be in right relationship with God. Which means we must all do the work of repentance for the ways we have seen and treated others as inferior. And until we can name it, until we can say it with brutal honesty, we won't position ourselves to change. Because you cannot change what you will not confront. We have all been socialized 
for 400 plus years to see black men and women as a whole as inferior. Some of you will say, well, not me, Pastor Rich. I I voted for Barack Obama. Not me, Pastor Rich. I grew up around black people. Not me, Pastor Rich. I see everyone and I love everyone and I don't see color. But you and I have been socialized. I have been socialized to see black men and black women as inferior. Even though many in my family are black. Even though I grew up around black people. This is a picture of me and my grandfather. I posted it on social media last week and it got a lot of attention. As I talked about my own relationship with my maternal grandfather. And how... He discipled me for seven months after I became a Christian. For three to four days a week, two to three hours each time. And I would be in close proximity to this man. Learning under this man. I grew up all around this blackness. And yet every day I have to fight the socialization that has been fed to me through society and often regurgitated by my extended family to see black men and black women as inferior. Every single day I have to push back the socialization that's deep within my psyche to see black men and black women as inferior. You and I have been taught That to move into a white neighborhood is inherently better than moving into a black neighborhood. You and I have been inherently taught that there are certain hair types that are good and certain hair types that are bad. You and I have been taught that black people are inherently more violent, inherently less capable, inherently less able to lead. And it's important to say that because... Being in close proximity to blackness doesn't mean that you understand what it means to be black. Now, I recognize that racism and individual racial prejudice is not just the experience of black men and women. COVID-19 has revealed racism against many in the Asian community and Asian American community. Hispanic men and women have been victims of racist policies and behaviors. Native American brothers and sisters have suffered at the hands of racism. But this week has once again revealed the unique and debilitating racism aimed at black men and women. And we need to name it. Think for a moment of the messages you've received from your family about black people? What lies do you carry within about black people? What are the stories and scripts that have blurred your vision from seeing them as people made in the image of God? And so Paul talks about this national identity. He rejects it. He talks about this racial ethnic identity and he rejects it in terms of its supremacy. And then Paul, right after that, gives the final area of rejection of of religious identity and religious performance. And Paul says for all of these things, do not put your trust in this kind of hierarchy. 
And look what Paul does. He, and, 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 and one of the verses here, he says, he gives his, his own biographical sketch, his own resume to talk about the ways that hierarchies are created and established nationally, racially, and religiously. He says, on his resume, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. And I, I wouldn't put that on my resume, but good for Paul here. But, but of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul is saying, there's no one who has outperformed me. There's no one who has a higher religious identity than me. And then Paul says, but all of that means nothing. All the hierarchies we create mean nothing and need to be demolished in the name of Jesus. And Paul says it's essentially this. Your good actions, your good works, no matter who you are, does not get you right with God. What gets you right with God is what God has done on your behalf. This is why I love Pentecost. Because Pentecost reminds us of the faithfulness and grace of God in Christ. On that first Pentecost Sunday, it was the apostle Peter who preaches. This same Peter who had just denied Jesus some weeks ago. And now who's being used in power by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior and unwavering faith. The Holy Spirit is a gift to those who turn to Jesus and wait on him. And so Paul is saying the way we measure things is not how God measures things. What makes us right with God is not the identity markers that we use to, sell, to separate each other. What makes us right with God are the marks on Jesus' body. In short, Paul is saying it is the cross that humbles those who have lived under the illusion of superiority and is the cross who exalts those who have lived under the burden of inferiority. And Paul names it. And says, whatever hierarchies you've created, whether nationally, racially, religiously, these things are to fall in the name of Jesus. Now Paul says, watch out. Watch out. Watch out. Be on high alert. And I want to tell you as your pastor, watch out. Watch out, watch out. Watch out for the subtle and not so subtle ways that we have regurgitated a racial hierarchy. Watch out, watch out, watch out for the subtle and not so subtle ways that we've seen white people up here and black people down here and everyone else find the space. Watch out. Watch out, watch out for all the ways that we've created hierarchies on nations and race and ethnicity and religiosity. It is the cross that humbles those who live under the illusion of superiority and exalts those who live under the burden of inferiority. But how do you live this out? How do you gain the power to press on in light of what's happening in our world? On this Pentecost Sunday, I want to go to what Paul says in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. Now you might be asking, how do I rejoice in the Lord at this moment? 
How do I rejoice in the Lord through a pandemic? How do I rejoice in the Lord when injustice fills the land? How do I rejoice in the Lord when I'm afraid of losing a loved one? My answer to that is not an easy one, but it's an important one. Because to rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean that you have to feel cheery. To rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean you have to put a smile on your face. To rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean that you have to fake it till you make it. To rejoice in the Lord is exactly that. It's in the Lord. But what does this mean? Simply this. That to rejoice in the Lord is to remember that God is on the side of those experiencing injustice. To rejoice in the Lord is to remember that God is not neutral. That God sides with those who are powerless. That God sides with those who are on the margins. That God sides with those who have been oppressed. That God sides with those who the world has overlooked. Rejoice in the Lord. And so when you, when you speak out and when you act out for the sake of justice, why do you rejoice? Because the Lord is with you. Rejoice in the Lord. It's to remember that God is with you. And so in this respect, to rejoice is an act of resistance. It was Willie James Jennings who said that joy is a defiant act of resistance against the forces of despair. That to rejoice doesn't mean we don't lament. To rejoice doesn't mean we don't deny our hurt. To rejoice in the Lord is an act of faith, trusting that God isn't done with us yet. That God has the power to strengthen us. For the journey, and this is what Pentecost reminds us, that we can't manufacture it, we can't manipulate it, but we can open ourselves up to God's power. So what does this mean? How do we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, move forward? I want to offer just a few things here. What does it mean to move forward in the power of the Spirit in light of the flames of injustice in this society? I want to offer just a few things. Number one. It means, first of all, that you have to identify how you have been socialized. That unless we are honestly confronting ourselves with the messages, particularly of superiority, and the ways we've been socialized, particularly for our time this Sunday, and the way that we see black people, black men and women, we will not move forward. And so we must do the work in the power of the Spirit to name the ways that we have been socialized in ways that are inconsistent with the way of Jesus. It also means this, that if you're black, that you don't have to apologize for your blackness. That you can celebrate your blackness. That you don't have to feel uh, insecure about your blackness. That God has empowered you in this country that has so demonized blackness, that has so belittled blackness. And so if you find yourself today as a black woman, as a black man, what's God's word to you? You're black. Remember it. Celebrate it. You don't have to apologize for it. And it also means, what do we do in the power of the Spirit? It means that we join our, our voices to God in pursuing justice in this world. 
It means we raise our voices. It means we work towards fairness. Racism, listen, racism needs to be addressed individually, interpersonally, and institutionally. Why? Because it is possible for you to have your soul redeemed by Jesus and still be caught in a system shaped by Satan. And so we must look at it across the board. That this is not a small issue, this is a massive issue. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, God can fill us to extinguish the fires of injustice. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are to renounce any form of hierarchy. Renounce any form of racism. Renounce any form of white normativity and white supremacy that has seeped into our souls and has infected our systems. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, God wants us to, wants to baptize us with boldness to speak and live the truth that we are all made in the image of God. And as we wait on the Lord, as we rejoice in the Lord, as we hope in the Lord, a rushing wind just might surprise us. And you just might find yourself with the fire of God's spirit resting on you. And with that fire, it's not so that you can have another wonderful experience. God has given you that fire to work towards extinguishing the justice, the fires of injustice that plague our land. And so our task this Sunday is to wait. To receive that power and to express that fire. That fire that extinguishes the fires of injustice. Amen. I want to give you right where you're at. About 30 to 45 seconds to be still. Paul says, whatever national identity I had, religious identity I had, racial ethnic identity I had, it means nothing. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. May we be captured by the love of Jesus Christ. which removes any notions of superiority and hierarchy. And may we be filled with this spirit to express the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take a few moments to be still in the presence of God. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes to rest on us and empower us to be your witnesses in this world. Lord, may we 
listen to the ways your spirit is moving. And may we follow suit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service, I want to give you a very simple next step. This Thursday, I'm going to be leading a webinar on the gospel and race. And uh, you can sign up for that. It's free. If you go to uh, our New Life webpage or uh, my Instagram or Facebook, uh, you can register there. Uh, and so that registration will probably close sometime on Tuesday or Wednesday. And it's, there's a lot of people already signed up, so I want to enjoy, uh, invite you to, to join us as well. If you're thinking, how do I continue to grow here? Um, you're more than welcome to join us in that. At the end of our service here, we have our virtual prayer room and virtual lobby. For those of you who want to connect with the pastor, pray with someone, we'd love for you to join us there. And I want to say as we close here, before I bless you, and for us new lifers, we've been a community for 33 years committed to bridging racial, cultural, economic, gender, and generational barriers. God has called us to be a particular community marked by love and justice and reconciliation and forgiveness. And we all have work to do. Beginning with myself, we all have work to do to figure out what is God's next step for us individually and for us as a body of people. And so I want to invite you to continue to open yourself up to what God might be saying to us. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, opening yourself up to the God of justice, the God of love, the God of reconciliation, the God most fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And may the Spirit empower you for the moment we are in. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the holy name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. Hope to see you sometime later this week.